electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Brutal week indeed. Welcome to the Halftime Report. Thanks, Carl. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the state of stocks and your money. That brutal week for tech, Carl was just talking about. The third bad one in a row for the NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100. You know it by now. Many big names battered, but... Are there too many bargains now to ignore? That's the big question for our investment committee today. Joining me for the hour, Steve Weiss, Pete Najarian, Jenny Harrington's the CEO and portfolio manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management, Degas Wright, the chief investment officer at Decatur Capital. Let's check the markets. I'll take you to the wall. I'll show here we go again. NASDAQ is down 154, one and a quarter percent. Dow's barely holding positive. SP Russell negative. 10-year note yield 156 and a half. Uh, Weiss, you got technical damage. As I said, here we go again. I'm looking at stocks like Moderna, Weiss, ones you've been talking about on this on this show forever. It's down 20 percent week to date. People listen to you guys. They may follow you into these stocks you talk about. We know that they do on occasion. What do you tell them now? What, what, what should they do? Well, let's talk about Moderna specifically. So if you take a look at the XBI, the ETF, that's down dramatically as well. So it's not just Moderna. It's the whole growth complex extends into technology. Moderna, to me, is still one of the cheapest stocks I own. Give me a company that's got that's selling at basically you're going to see $30 this year. That's selling at about four to five times earnings. They'll have 15 billion in net cash this year that has an annuity in terms of the COVID vaccine and a, and a booster coming out for the variants, I don't see those fundamentals anywhere. So the markets are rational. Plus, they reported great early phase one cancer data earlier in the week where it shrunk the tumor in two out of 10 patients by more than 60%. And that's with low dosage, but was show, shown to be safe with no side effects. So the markets are rational okay. is the point. All right. And that's well, that's because rates have spiked. I don't know if you want me to go on. No, no. Well, well I mean, OK, we don't want to come back at you for a second, because here I think is an interesting part of this okay. conversation. Right. Was the market rational sure. when mm-hmm. everything went up through multiple expansion and not fundamentals? Now that things are coming down and the the the, the air is coming out a little bit. Now the market's irrational. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that that there's always a rationality. There's always parts of the market that are rational. I didn't really participate in the irrational parts of the market. I didn't own Zoom. I should have. It did pretty well. I didn't own, you know, Teladoc. I didn't own those. The markets are rational in those, still irrational. They're still egregiously overvalued. And we had the discussion Monday when 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 you were out. So, look, there are always pockets of euphoria and always pockets of depression in the market. And so when I say it's irrational, I'm talking about my universe of names. So I take a look at some of the tech stocks. I'll take a look at the semis. Mm -hmm. I'll take a look at some other areas that are incredibly cheap. 
All right. And well, just you, got cheaper. You, it doesn't you, mean that this is where we're going to stop. Stop. I, I hear you. you. You got Moderna off the mat um, by saying you still think that it's it, it's cheap. So, you know, Jenny, it, it's not just Moderna, obviously. Um, just out of the Nasdaq 100, for example, Peloton's down 22 percent week to date. Nvidia's down 14. Tesla making Degas queasy is down 18. Degas also feeling bad about PayPal, which is down 13. Pete's got his Lululemon pants on. They're down 13% this week. Skyworks Weiss is down 9% this week. Pete Marvell's down 20%. So, Pete, you tell me. I mean, are these stocks bargains now or not yet? I think that it, it depends on which names will you actually pull from the list, Scott. I mean, I think, quite frankly, I look at a Lulu. Was it probably a little bit overpriced? It's, this is a stock that has done everything the right way, and the stock has uh, literally run up in an incredible level the, that it just come off of those highs now. So was it a little overpriced? It probably was. I've been in this name for a really long time when it was in the double digits, Scott. So... I just continue to sell calls against the position. I've been doing that forever. And uh, you know what? I still believe in it. When you look at what their fundamental numbers are, and now it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't irrational that they sold it. It was very rational. When you looked at where the P.E. was, what, should I have maybe taken it off? You know what? It's a long-term hold for me. I've been holding on to this thing for multiple years. So, no, I, I, I didn't see that opportunity. So I get a little more aggressive with how I sell options against those positions. But I do think that when you look at some of the names that you mentioned and, 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 and Steve just mentioned, the Teladocs of the world, the, the DocuSigns, and all of those types of names where the fundamental story doesn't really back up where those stocks ran to. It does, I think, in Lulu, but it was probably stretched, no doubt about it. But when you look at where their growth is, Scott, I mean, I, I could give you multiple other names as well where they, they literally do have the growth. They do have the strength. They do have everything that you're looking for for your stocks. Now you just have to look at the P.E. and say, what is the right P.E. right now? I'm looking at Lulu. It's trading at a 45. I look at Nike. It's trading at a 35. Compare those two companies against one another. And I know they're not a perfect comparison, but compare them against each other. And you're going to see an incredibly different growth that you're seeing out of one versus the other. And you look at the DCT, DTC growth, one versus the other. Lulu absolutely dominates. So the fact that it's down to a 45 PE, I'm actually looking at it right now, Scott, trying to decide whether or not that's something where I do need to add to it at this point in time. All right. So, Jenny, I, I go back to the issue because I, I know you sort of look at things this way. Um, I know you don't see any of these high-flying tech stocks as bargains. I mean, you call them whatever you want. You can call them the Kathy Wood stocks because a lot of them make up the ARK funds um, and have done incredibly well but have had massive pullbacks. You remember when we used to talk about the FANGs, for example, and a lot of these stocks going up for because of multiple expansion, right? We said it all the time. So rates go up, multiples compress. Isn't that how it works? Well, that's assuming the stock has a multiple. So I'm thinking as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking back to a few months ago when we were talking about, is the market euphoric? And I said, I would argue that the market's not euphoric, but there's lots of pockets of euphoria in the market. And I think that that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing those pockets that were totally euphoric, that were bubbled, we're seeing them rationalize. We're seeing them reconcile their valuations. So I think you're right, Scott, yes, um, yes, an, 
an increasing interest rate can take away multiple points. But what happens when you have something that has no multiple because it's got you know negative two dollars or negative three dollars a share of earnings? How do you deal with those? And I think that's where we're. That's one of the reasons why we're seeing this. You know let's call it high-flying tech stocks, get really slapped right now because they were coasting on fumes and those fumes are being taken away. They were, they've essentially been driven up on free money. And guess what? Money might not be free anymore and money might not be pumped into the economy at the rate it was. So all of that's at play coming out here. Um, and I think that's what's starting to really reconcile the prices. I don't even want to say the valuations because there are no valuations. All of these high flyers, they're all <laughs> trading on, on you know, kind of assuming that they're going to capture 100% of TAN, total addressable market, TAM, sorry, um, total addressable market. And they can't all capture that. So they're deflating. They deserve to deflate. They got chased to higher prices that were irrational. And let's not forget, many of them are still up two and 300% over the last 52 weeks. So to me, saying, are they at bargain prices now? No, just because something's not at its high doesn't mean that it's suddenly at a bargain. They're still up a tremendous amount, and I think they still have a long way I mean, to come down. A lot of these are you know, at least a third or so um, off of their record highs. And that brings me to Degas. Um, you're in Apple, you're in Amazon, down 2.5% and 6.5% respectively this week. You're in NVIDIA, down 14%. Tesla 18, PayPal 13. Uh, what are you doing? Yeah, so Scott, you know, if, if Vin can put up the um, NASDAQ 100 chart, just wanted to look at that for a moment. If you notice that um, the high point was around February the 12th, and since then the uh, NASDAQ 100 is, is, is declined 10%. So what, what is this telling us in that if you hold only the NASDAQ, all those stocks that you just mentioned, the technology names, you're going to have, you're going to suffer through this period. What, what we really see as investors is to be diversified. And what we do is that we look at those disruptive companies, a Tesla, a NVIDIA, for instance. We have to expect in these markets, when the market declines, interest rates are in increasing, we can expect those disruptive stocks to decline also sharply. However, that does not make up the bulk of our portfolio. The bulk, you know, it makes up roughly uh, five to 15% of the portfolio. But then you look at the growth stories and those growth stories are gonna be around those free cash flow, positive free cash flow. Uh, companies like Oracle, uh, MasterCard, for instance. And so that makes up the bulk of our portfolios anywhere from 40 to 60%. But then you have what we call the infrastructure companies and these companies are the ones that have been doing really well during this period, and they could be anywhere from 10 to 30% of your portfolio. And so these are companies like Illinois uh, Toolworks or Quanta. So you wanna, look at the, you wanna look at your portfolio as many different members, and you wanna break it up into those three groups. And if you do that, you can take these uh, periods of declining disruptive stocks because you have the infrastructure stocks that are going to hold up the performance of your overall portfolio. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting a lot of inquiries from, you know, friends and otherwise people who are just interested in the market currently on whether, you know, whether we think there's going to be more carnage ahead in a lot of these names. It, it goes to the heart of the conversation, at least part of it that I had on CNBC Pro with John Rogers of Ariel. And we played that for you yesterday. We have a different group 
from the investment committee with us today. Let me revisit that of what John Rogers told me about staying away from the S&P 500. Those were his words. Let's listen. We started to feel like the NASDAQ and these tech stocks were going to have their comeuppance. They're going to have a difficult time. So I'd stay away from the S&P 500 because it is so you know, chock-a-block with the FANG stocks and these you know, huge, huge tech companies and, and fast-growing tech companies. And there, but so you know, that's an area which will cause the entire market to go down because there's such a high percentage of the S&P 500. Right. I mean, Weiss, the point is, is you're about to have a sea change or, or we're undergoing it now in, in the market, a, you know, a shift into value stocks, a more meaningful one and longer lasting one than we've seen in a number of years. You have a reflation trade going on. Interest rates are going up. The kinds of stocks that are going to work in the new environment in which we're all going to live post pandemic is here. Everybody, there's all this pent up demand and even, you know, Chair Powell, he knows inflation's going to go up. Of course, he thinks it's transitory. But almost everybody assumes that you're going to have this reflationary environment, if you call it that, um, and you're going to see it in the stock market, of, of course. So why, why isn't John Rogers right? Well, I, I think he's right to a certain extent, but, but I think it, it's got to be parsed a little more. So what he's, what he's really saying is, Stay away from technology. You can own the other parts of the S&P, but not technology. And technology is, is a big sector. It's monstrous. Biggest part, so it's the biggest sector in the S&P? We talked about, yeah, it is. And, and it wasn't always, nor was energy at one point the smallest. So you see it changes. But look, here's what I'd say. Yes, there is multiple compression. We've seen that before and rates go up. Historically, that's always been the case. However, there are different parts of the technology sector. So there are some parts that because of where we're going and where we've been and pulling forward the digitization of the economy, that those companies are bulwarks of the new uh, economy that we're going to see. Not really new, new relative to the last 10 years. So there's a semi shortage. Name, name one other commodity, and I'll tell you semis are a commodity, where you see a shortage and the stocks go down between 10 and 30 percent. So that's, again, stage right, stage left. So we got to think about these things. We've got to look underneath. And that's where you find the opportunity of the value. We, on the other hand, we take a look at Freeport. Now, I sold Freeport. I sold SQM. They're not both copper. But take a look at the free, at copper numbers. They hit almost a high, and they've come down dramatically, up a little bit today. But you know, there's more that's going on in terms of energy. Yeah, it's a commodity, but you know as well as I do, maybe the Saudis said we're not going to pump yesterday, but they will pump. That's just the nature. So you got to be careful. So to me, what looks like value in a lot of names is actually not value. It's already anticipating a major recovery. However, the way the market's gone, the way the market will going, dynamics of the market, those stocks will keep going, which is why almost half my portfolio now are in those stocks, but not those the under the radar. And to John's point again, Look for the under radar names like the Atcores that I own or a Vulcan Materials. So I think that's where you can make the money. But don't give up on the technology names. No, I give up I, on I, some of them. I, I hear you. But when, when I ask you guys and I know our producers did today, say, where are the bargains? Um, and we're not just talking within you know, technology. We're talking elsewhere, too. Um, when I look on the list of the answers that that you, most of you gave, 
the bargains, even after the carnage we've seen in tech, are outside of that space, okay? Weiss has XPO, UPS, FedEx, so the shippers, delivery folks, Jenny, your bargains, now Seagate Technology, okay, but Pfizer, Regeneron, Degas, Thermo Fisher, Clorox, Costco, Pete, Target, Costco, Restoration Hardware, right? My point is, we've seen a lot of destruction in a lot of these high-flying tech stocks, 30, 40% in some of those names, and yet not everybody's looking to say, hey, I see a lot of bargains out there. Jenny, you're looking at those names I said, Pfizer and Regeneron, as places where people should put their money. Right. So I just want to back up for one sec on why I don't see bargains in the high flyers right now. In my personal account, I know this will surprise everyone because everyone thinks I'm all dividends all the time, but I have a position in a company called Siena, the ticker is C-I-E-N, and I've had this since um, the year 2000. And I added this in the year 2000 when it was way off its high, when to me it looked like a bargain, when to me it looked like exactly what DocuSign and Airbnb and all of those are looking at, like today. The thing after many reverse stock splits, like it used to be about $1,200 a share when I bought it, now it's 45. And I keep it in there as a reminder for this exact thing, to remind myself that stocks can permanently lose value even 20 years later. Interestingly, if you look at Intel, same kind of thing. It's actually never made it back to its highs that it was at in 2000. So when I look at the bargains today, I'm very careful not to get it caught up again and just saying just because it's off its high. I go back to the fundamentals. So you look at a Regeneron, on that one you can say, okay, it's been caught up in the market selling off. It's down 32%, but guess what? It trades at 10 times earnings. It generates 7% free cash flow. And by the way, this is in our growth portfolio. It's not a dividend stock. It has a great pipeline that'll drive future growth. That's what you want to look at. That's what you want to focus on as you look for bargains now. Don't look at just what they're off their highs on, or you will get burnt the way I did coming out of 2000. Yeah, I mean, Weiss is one of the few who sees a lot of the bargains in tech, right? I mean, he, you talked about the cheap, you know, uh, chip stocks, pardon me, Steve, Skyworks, Corvo, Qualcomm. Mm -hmm. um, I get it, but by and large, the bargains that you all are finding are not within the tech space. Costco, Pete and Degas. Pete, why Costco? Why, why is it a bargain here for our viewers? Well, I think if you if you look at where it was, it was probably stretched, Scott. Uh, I don't think Target was necessarily stretched. I think the problem for Target was that when they delivered these unbelievable numbers, and they were unbelievable numbers, people viewed that as, well, it's peak earnings. They're not going to be able to continue this sort of a pace at which they're on. And, and that's why I think they've probably sold it off because the stock was not too long ago. It was pushing towards 200, and now it's significantly off some of those highs, Scott. So, And Costco, similar, similar story. That stock is down significantly from its highs, and I think a lot of that has to do with that people are just wondering, okay, as they start to put more money into it, raising uh, the, the levels of pay and some of the other input costs that they've got, um, where are they going to go? I still think that makes them a great buy, however, because the model of what they do and how they do it and the execution in which they've been able to do it for quarter after quarter, year after year, I think that now that it's come off significantly, now that does create a little bit of an opportunity. It really does come down to this. And, and, and listening to the tapes of other people and everything, I think when we, when we listen to that, I think we have to think about this. And, 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 and obviously we all talk about this, but the multiples, Scott, I mean, those are the names in technology specifically. Um, and even if you throw in the Pelotons of the world and whatever, when you look at the names that have come down significantly, they have either no multiple or triple or quadruple digits, like I said on Wednesday. And, and those are the names that you don't buy them just because they've come down 
20%, you have to all of a sudden realize, hey, look, are they going to ever be able to reach the levels that make any kind of a sense from a valuation perspective? And when will that come? And I, and I view most of the names that we're talking about right now as names that are going to probably flounder for a while. I don't but see an immediate bounce back just because they've come off 20%. We're not just talking about those, right? We, we have talked on this show about multiple expansion in the FANG stocks, you know, that have had taken mm -hmm. um, all of the FANGs really, except for what, Netflix and Amazon, you know, from, I don't know, 20s or whatever the, the number was to low 30s multiples for those stocks based on mm -hmm. multiple expansion. When I look at the, the percentage at which those stocks are now off of their, their record highs, Apple's 18% off its record high. Amazon's off 18%. Facebook's off 15. Netflix is off 15. Microsoft's down eight. I mean, I don't hear you guys pounding the table at those kinds of declines off record highs, Pete, to go out and buy those stocks today. I'm not concerned about any of those names. And what I'm looking for, Scott, are the names that actually do have great fundamentals but still get sold. And that's why my example is Target. I mean, Target right now, look at the multiple at which it's trading, Scott. When you look at the growth prospects of what they've delivered and what they're likely to deliver into the future, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that it's trading right now back below about a 20 PE for a forward. So I think you have to look at each individual name. That doesn't mean that I like Apple right here. I like Microsoft right here. I just don't see the incredible upside that I see in other names. And that's why I selected the names that I did for the list, okay. Target, Costco, I think some of these names, and maybe even PayPal really was stretched. And even now, it feels stretched, but I love that name because of all the things they're able to do and the growth that they're able to um, to report to us is absolutely incredible. And, you know, the, the, the user growth and everything, it's just, it's an incredible company, but it trades 57 times and it was trading at 30 times. So that's why I'm still a little bit apprehensive, but that's one of those names that if this continues, I absolutely will be back in PayPal. Okay. Let's bring in our headliner. He helps oversee more than $8 billion in assets under management. Christopher Toomey is with Morgan Stanley. Private Wealth joins us once again. It's good to see you again. Thanks for having me again, well, Scott. Well, what a time to get your insights. So, I mean, you know, I don't know how much of our conversation you heard leading up into to the interview with you. Uh, what are your thoughts on where we are? Where should we be positioning? Well, I mean, look, if we take a historical view of the S&P 500 since the 1940s, the average returns about 11 percent. The average interyear pullback is also about 11 percent. And typically from the bottom of the market cycle to that first 5 percent pullback is about 60 days. So we're about 80 days since the market bottom. And this is a 5 percent pullback. This is what it feels like. So we're actually basically due for a pullback given how far we've come. And what I would say is, is that our thesis really hasn't changed. Conditions haven't gotten worse. They've only improved across all of the fronts that we follow. If you look at fiscal policy, we're in a situation where the Senate's going to vote on potentially a $1.9 trillion stimulus package. That's going to be 50% bigger than CARES last year. If you look at the monetary front, we got news this week with Chairman Powell reiterating the fact that he's not going to be changing course. The vaccine data continues to be better than expected. 70% of hospitalizations and new cases down. And then if you look at the economy, whether it's GDP estimates or today's employment number, they're all very positive. So, you know, I think um, John Rogers is a phenomenal investor. 
I recognize the concerns with regards to uh, what's going on in technology, but we're not necessarily really concerned about the S&P 500. We but, think that this is a very good time to be adding money. I mean, of course, everything you said is, is right. But also the market's not selling off because there's all of a sudden bad news. Of course, there are many great things. The problem is, is that things may get too great, right? And too hot. And that would push rates up to, to a, a, you know, a, somewhere beyond what the Fed is, is maybe able or willing to do. And that's why the upset is happening in the market. What do you think? No, I agree. I think, look, we are seeing a situation where the 10-year tripled. And obviously there's concern when something like that happens. But you also have to look at the absolute level of where rates are right now. You had Rick Reeder on, I think, last week. You know, he's obviously one of the great investors in the fixed income market. And he kind of poo-pooed that. You know, he's talking about the fact that rates are still negative in a real sense. And so in our minds, you know, we're not necessarily in a situation where we anticipate inflation really being a secular problem. We think it is a transient problem. We think as the economy opens up, a lot of the issues that are going to be created, it's not going to be just like flipping a switch and things are going to go back online. There's going to be some cost controls, cost issues that are going to affect the economy. Uh, but we think all of that is positive for stocks. And I think it's important to note specifically around tech, you know, look, we have been uh, market neutral or market underweight with regards to tech. And what we're seeing right now is a rotation out of tech and into the cyclicals. It's been happening since October. And we think this is normal. The opportunities now that we're getting more and more certainty about the economy opening means that there's more opportunities outside of tech for great growth. And I think that's just what the market's reacting to. And you think it's longer lasting? Look, I don't know what the duration is going to be. I think the bigger risk is not necessarily short term, but uh, intermediate and longer term. I think the economy is going to do exceptionally well. I think risk assets are going to do exceptionally well. I don't know whether prices go up dramatically in six months or two years. I think my bigger concern is how we're gonna pay for all of this. I think one of the things that is most concerning for clients is looking at their asset allocation and looking at what happened recently with their stocks and their bonds. This was a situation where stocks pulled back, but bonds pulled back precipitously. And this is a concern of ours with regards to the fact that you're not getting those diversification benefits from fixed income that you used to. And I think that's a real concern for investors. You mean we actually have to pay for all this at some point? Oh. Okay. Yeah. Well, we have to yeah. go back to reality at some point. But look, I mean, you think the runway is long enough. I mean, if you're recommending financials here, which which you are, uh, they've had a great run. So clearly, you're you're making a somewhat intermediate, you know, longer term bet that those stocks can still work even though they've come so far. I think yes and no. I think on the short term. I think we're in a situation where financial companies have done a great job coming out of the credit crisis, cleaning up their businesses, reducing leverage, really getting a better return on their assets. Uh, the big difference is, is that they don't have the leverage that they used to. I think going into this situation, financials provide you the benefit of the fact that they're relatively cheap. And if interest rates do go higher, that's a benefit for them. In addition to that, I think uh, the continued growth on the capital market side, whether it's debt issuance, whether it's back issuance, whether it's IPOs, I think that's still a robust part of the market, which they're going to benefit from. Mm -hmm. And I think the consumer coming back into the economy is also going to be great. Remember, savings rates right now are running around 20 percent. 
And I think as the economy reopens, a lot of these businesses are going to do well. And I think that's going to be beneficial for banks. Good to see you again. Great to have your insights as always. Chris Toomey joining us from Morgan Stanley once again. We'll see you soon. Uh, We'll get a comment from the gang on the other side of this quick break. Up next, the investment committee is making a lot of moves in this market. You figure that out by now. Plus, check out the CNBC SPAC 50 going negative now for the year, down over 10% in a month. Leslie Picker, she follows the money on the SPAC slide. She's with us next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Let's begin in Texas, where power regulators have vetoed a request to reduce sky-high power prices on the last day of the state's February freeze. They also deferred voting on a separate proposal that could have saved retail electric providers about $1.5 billion. Nearly 55% of Americans aged 65 and older have gotten at least one shot of coronavirus vaccine. That's according to a White House COVID advisor. The CDC says that it will soon release guidance on behavior for people who have been vaccinated. And 60% of Americans approve of President Biden's job performance. That's according to a new poll from the Associated Press. 70% back his response to the pandemic, including 44% of Republicans. And Scott, how about this one? Finally, the NFL has named Maya Shaka as its first female black official. She's been training with the NFL since 2014. And Scott, she said when she got the call, she actually thought she was being punked. She thought it, it wasn't serious. I mean, obviously yeah. it was, but she was just that surprised. Yeah. Long time coming. And we're glad it is. All right. Can't wait to see her this season. Yeah. Rahel, thank you. All right, guys, let's um, let's go over the the uh, the Toomey stuff real quick. And by the way, the market's coming back. Uh, Dow is almost up 200 now. S&P's positive by about 15. Nasdaq's gotten way off the floor. Uh, standing eight count yet again today. But uh, it's got both hands up, says I can continue. They're going to let it go. Uh, so it's fighting on and it's only down 33 and three quarters or so right now. No big deal. Uh, Weiss, this is normal. It's just a rotation. There's a lot of good news ahead. Things are good. 
everybody's kind of chill out. By the way, Brian Belsky says today, we don't view the prospect of higher yields as a threat to the bull market. They stay, they stay with 4,200. S&P historically has performed better during periods of rising rates. Well, that's true, because they're going for the right reason, which is that the economy is improving. Look, I think the market can withstand even 3%, but if we get there in a couple of days, it's a different story. So what's really driving the market, and we've talked about this consistently, is the spike, the major move in rates in such a compressed period of time. That started on February 25th with really a terrible auction in the seven-year uh, treasuries, where the cover was only two times ridiculously low, and the spread over the prior seven year was at an all-time high. This week is extremely important coming up because we're getting auctions in the three tens and thirties. So what I was thinking is there's so much liquidity coming. Keep in mind, we're also going to have to fund the COVID relief bill that who's going to step up. However, I've come to realize, and after I, I spoke to our Cracker Jack producer, Patty Martell earlier, I actually covered my shorts and started to go long semis because I think at this mm. point, the short interest will be covered, big short interest in the 10-year. We actually saw repo rates on the 10-year, negative 4%. You never see that. So I believe the short interest is so large, it's being covered now, and it'll be further covered because guess what? Relative to the rest of the world, rest of sovereigns, having a 1-5, 10-year is phenomenal. So the surprise to me is that the auction supply will be met next week, and that's why I did a 180 and went a little longer, adding, by the way, to Skyworks, to Qualcomm. 15 times earnings, they've seen multiple compression, more so than their growth rate. They never had the multiple expansion. So that's why I'm there. So actually, short term, this is a bet. It could go either way. Mark could be down 20% if nobody shows for the auction next week, or it can be up 10 to 20% in the weeks that follow. Yeah. Jenny, um, I'm wondering what you think about what, what Toomey told us. And you can also tell us, if you will, about Carrier, which you just bought, and you bought more B&G Foods as well. So the... The thing that Toomey said that really resonated with me the most was his concern on how we're going to pay for this. And this is a conversation that I've been having with clients over the last year, but really particularly in the last six months as we see the, the debt that the U.S. is piling up. My concern on that is that ultimately the huge amounts of debt that we've taken on and how we pay for it is going to suppress growth in the long run. So if we're used to, depending on an equity market that gives us an 8 to 10% return, maybe in the future that's 6 to 9 six to eight percent, but it's going to be lower. And a lower growth rate affects different clients differently, depending on how much wealth they've accumulated and what their cost of living is. So he's worrying about that. I'm worrying about that a lot too. The addition of BNG Foods and the addition to Carrier are completely separate. So, um, so we added to our BNG Foods. This is a fun one where many of you know that I've owned this for a really long time. And when it got spiked up on the GameStop shenanigans from a few weeks ago, and B&G had a lot of short interest, we actually trimmed it when it was around $40 a share. And then we bulked our position back up this week after they announced earnings, and it was trading at $28 a share. Listen to the earnings call, and we're like, this is a terrific company. Six and a quarter percent yield. Um, earnings growth should be, sorry, revenue growth should be up about 10% over 2019. You got to leave 2020 out because it was an anomalous year, but it's a great company. And maybe after that, it grows at GDPS growth. So if I can get GDPS growth on earnings of 3%, maybe 4%, 
plus a 6% yield, that's good enough for me for the long term. The carrier, this one into our growth portfolio, this one's really interesting and really different, but this is a big play on sustainability because what we've learned is that a huge amount of total um, carbon emissions comes from building HVAC systems. So as the pressure increases and increases and as it increases to reduce carbon emissions, carriers perfectly positioned to sell more and more efficient systems. Meanwhile, it's trading at about 18 times earnings. It has a 6% free cash flow yield, tons of growth ahead, and it's really a place we want to be in our discipline growth portfolio, yep. where we don't look at exuberant ephemeral growth, but look at like predictable right. growth rooted in free cash flow. Let me ask you just quickly, speak to our viewers, particularly the mm -hmm. ones who are, are dividend players like you. What goes through your mind mm -hmm. when you know every stock you ever talk about on this show, part of the thesis, you always talk about the dividend yield. Well, in a rising rate mm -hmm. environment, dividend yields maybe aren't as attractive or, or you know, certainly are, are maybe not at the top of the list about why you would why buy something. How, how do you deal with that? Right. So, so the idea is always bond proxy. And so are the dividend stocks bond proxies? We are so far away from having the 10-year yield actually be a competitive source of income or lead bonds to being a competitive source of income that I don't think that's in the cards right now. And this goes back to a bit of what Steve was saying, which is, sure, the 10-year could get to 2%, maybe 3%, but it's the path on how it's going to get there. And so if it just takes off, it's one thing. But if it gets to 2% or 3% in a healthy way, because we have a healthy economy, then people who own dividend stocks need to remember that these are actual companies. And if the economy is doing well, the companies like B&G, AbbVie, Dow, AT&T, Verizon, IBM, those companies are doing well too. So how wonderful that a large part of your total return is going to come from the dividend income, but you're also going to have earnings growth because the economy is doing well. Mm. So I would say sit back, relax, don't worry about that. If we see the tenure at 5%, maybe we worry about it. Maybe it's a challenge then, but I've made a lot of um, very audacious bets that in my career, I don't think I'm going to see the tenure at 5%. Yeah. And I've got a lot of career to go because I have private school and <laughs> yeah. college tuition and stuff. To I, I believe me, I hear you on that. Uh, all right, Pete, I'm going to get to your moves. I know you have a lot of moves to talk about, too. We'll do those before the end of the show, it's I promise, good. along with your unusual activity. We do want to talk about SPACs for a moment, though. Another index going negative for the year. I mentioned it earlier, our own, the CNBC SPAC 50. It's down 17% over the past week alone. Leslie Picker following the money. A lot of big names are the ones among the most hardest hit. You've got 12 more SPAC IPOs pricing uh, last night. The beat goes on. There's a little more pain, though. <laughs> I love how we say 12 SPAC IPOs. <laughs> like it's like nothing. It's just norm. <laughs> it's like it's nothing. I know. Uh, but it is. It, I mean, this year alone, we've had an average of five SPACs every single trading day go public, raising $70 billion. That's on pace to have a year that would be five times last year's record level. That's tremendous. But lately, as you mentioned, Scott, we've seen these, these SPACs really sell off, especially uh, when you look at that index that you just mentioned, down uh, almost 18% in just the last two weeks alone as this kind of SPAC reckoning uh, kind of comes to the forefront of investors' consciousness. I also want to point to the CNBC SPAC post deal index, which shows deals that have already been inked at this point. That one down four and a half percent today. These are deals uh, that have already been announced. The information is out there, uh, but investors really taking some money off the table uh, just in an overall kind of anti-SPAC mindset over the last two weeks. Yeah. I mean, it's something to behold. You know, we knew not everyone was going to be, you know, flying to the moon like a rocket ship. Um, but I don't yeah. know. All right, Les, thank you. Leslie Picker. You, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. 
Oh, I was going to say you mentioned rocket ship. Um, one of the main uh, SPACs that has been selling off are those owned by Chamath Palihapitiya, uh, and it was reported today that he sold his 211 percent uh, for a 211 million uh, dollar profit in Virgin Galactic, which kind of spurred this whole thing. So it's kind of almost like a full circle type thing. But his other um, SPACs are also selling off today probably in just kind of this broader reckoning that's going on right now. Yeah, exactly. All right. Good stuff, Les. Thank you. Interesting, too. Everybody is so negative on, on SPACs on the desk today. Jenny, incredibly negative on SPACs. She says, Degas, it's a bubble waiting to happen. These are the notes of what you guys told our producers. Weiss, ludicrous. It's all coming home to roost. Pete, ha ha. These are a mirage. Just to give you a flavor, we got to bounce, but I'll come back. We'll do unusual activity with Pete next. Before the break, check on the S&P sectors today. We're trying to get some kind of Rally going here. Dow's up better than 200. S&P's going positive, and the Nasdaq as well is knocking on the door. We'll show you where it is on the other side of this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, unusual activity in just a minute, but how about that? NASDAQ 100, positive. In fact, the three major averages, all positive. Right now, it's quite a reversal trying to build on something uh, midday here. Russell 2000 is still negative. Rates 156 on the 10-year. But take a look at the Dow. Highs of the day, 214. S&P is up 24. And the NASDAQ, uh, which has been under some significant pressure, down. it's like the third straight negative week for the NAS and the NASDAQ 100. NASDAQ now is positive by about 10 points. All right, Pete, uh, quite a backdrop here, quite a reversal. Yeah. What do you got yep. an unusual for us? The intraday volatility is, well, first of all, Scott, the intraday volatility of the markets is absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. And we know that. We've watched it. This whole week has been incredible. The ups and downs between the bell to bell, not from bell to bell, but even in between. So I'm going to start off with Unum. Now, this one's interesting because it's a life insurance company. We don't see this name very often, Tennessee, uh, Nashville, Tennessee uh, company. And we're seeing the stock was trading around 28. They're going all the way out to April, Scott. And they're buying a pretty significant amount, 5,000 of the April 30 calls going for a little over a dollar there. So that's pretty interesting. And that's a little bit longer term than we, what we have been seeing. Secondly, I got another one, AbbVie. So we talk about the drug stocks all the time and what are they doing. And AbbVie is pretty interesting as well because they're actually going out even a little bit further. They're going and buying 6,000 of the May 110 calls. Stock was about 105 at the time, paying about $3 for these. They're spreading them off. So they're, they're hedging their bets to the upside. But certainly we're seeing two big bullish trades going to the upside and buying a little bit more time than we've been seeing in the past. All right. Good stuff, Pete. Appreciate that. Up next, the big calls of the day. There are a few to tell you about. We're back in just two minutes. Again, we are positive now across the board. Now the Russells join the party, too, on this Friday. We're back in just a moment. Okay, let's do a call of the day. Pete, it's to you because it's Western Digital upgraded to buy Goldman Sachs today. $85 is the price target from 56. You bought some Western Dig calls, did you? 
Yeah, we had a pretty nice size buyer in there, Scott. So that really did stand out. And they're actually only going out a week. And I just mentioned how they were going out a little bit further on the unusuals. But for Western Digital, they were buying the 66 and a half calls for about about 5,000 of those were trading there. So certainly somebody thinks that this is something that's going to move a lot quicker, maybe because of some of the commentary today. But you know what? You've got a little bit more time on your hands. You've got one week, so we'll see how this plays out. But I, I like what we're seeing there. And Steve was talking about jumping back into some of those names that have better valuations. This is a better valuation name as well. Yeah, nice run for that uh, name as, as we're chatting it here. Let me get a couple other things from you, Pete. Um, you bought calls in Murphy Oil, yeah. right? In Square, in Community mm-hmm. Health yep. Systems. Can you tell me about those, please? All right, so the most important one for me was the Murphy because the fact that I still want to have a lot of exposure, especially with some of the beta names in the energy space. So I I did have a great run out of ExxonMobil. I took that off, and I wanted to add something else. Murphy stood out for me because there was some unusual in that just a couple of days ago, so I jumped on that. I, I continue to look to the upside for energy. It doesn't seem like it's ready to slow down just yet, Scott. We continue to see option paper in there on a daily basis, multiple hits across all different types of energy, but specifically the beta names. All right. Cool. Thank you, Pete. More trades are just ahead. Stay with us. All right, let's do the futures outlook. Check out the dollar. It is spiking to its highest level since November. Bill Baruch, Blue Line Futures, joining us now with his trade. I mean, rates up, dollar up, no big shock. The question is, does it have enough momentum to continue? Happy Friday, Judge. I'm sitting here in a beautiful day in Chicago, eating a little humble pie for how immediate I was bullish in the, in the equities on Tuesday on the show. But I think we'll be okay. And that because of the dollar. The dollar index is a basket of currencies. It's up about 2% on the year, 57% of which is the euro, 13% of which is the British pound. And both of those have been trending higher. There's a lot of optimism out of the UK, too, with the vaccine rollout, as well as reopenings. So I think they're going to continue to trend higher. Now, the dollar index did break below a trend line going back to 2011. And then that is retesting that trend line right here today. And I want to sell into that. 92 and a quarter is where I want to sell the June dollar index. And I want to risk up to 93 and a quarter. That's a thousand dollar risk on a stop. And then the downside is 88 and a quarter looking for a four thousand dollar winner on that. All right. Good stuff. We'll see what happens. Good weekend. We'll see you soon. Bill Baruch. Final trades after this quick break. Excited to tell you that all next week we're going to be trying something a little different at six o'clock while Jim is off. It's called On the Edge. Sharp opinions, the hottest takes and fierce debates about the big players and news in the business world kicks off Monday, 6 p.m. I hope you'll join me for that. We're excited about what we're going to bring you next week. Let's do final trades. Jenny, you're up first. My final trade is Seagate, piling onto the Western Digital recommendation from earlier. You get all the same with Western Digital, but you get a 3.7% dividend yield on top of it. Okay, good stuff. Thank you. Degas. People's United, 4% dividend yield. They've increased their dividend payout 27 years in a row. Okay, Steve Weiss. Busey, I was on a call yesterday with them and a bunch of enterprise buyers talking about how they match up with Microsoft Teams. Stock's down 25%. It's going to recover significantly. All right. Got a name for me, uh, Pete? I'm going to give you Las Vegas Sands. I continue to see option activity in there, Scott. All right. Good weekend, everybody. To you as well. Nice reversal on the street. The exchange picks it up now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. 
The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.